Welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for Families. In our podcast, we look for the best of the West and discuss the stories, events, themes, and people that made the West different than the rest. Previously, we'd been discussing the Greco-Persian War and its effect on history and culture. In two of those episodes, we told the story from the Athenian perspective, and in one of those episodes, we gave you the Spartan perspective, along with some background to the Spartan way of life. Today, I want to focus in more on the Athenians and talk about their government system that was running in the background of the Greco-Persian War. You see, the Athenians invented democracy. Literally, the entire idea came from them. And so today we're going to examine the history of Athens between 700 BC and 500 BC and see how this typical ancient kingdom went through a series of reforms and counter-reforms, revolutions and counter-revolutions to develop what Winston Churchill called, quote, the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time, close quote. In all seriousness, though, Despite its problems, democracy and the ideas behind it, equality under the law, power in the hands of the many instead of the few, are some of the most important ideas in Western civilization, and we owe a great debt to the Athenians for developing these. So, let's dive into it. Athens was ruled by a series of kings up until the 8th century BC, where our story begins. By this point in Athenian history, Athens had become a rather wealthy town. Silver deposits to the south, marble quarries, and extensive beds of clay allowed Athenians to build whatever they needed. Through the extraction, manufacturing, and shipping of these commodities, a few Athenian families particularly grew in wealth and prestige. These large, wealthy, well-connected clans soon monopolized political and spiritual rule over the town as they would serve as the town's leaders, generals, and priests. They soon usurped the power of the king himself. Aristotle explains, Appointment to the supreme offices of state went by birth and wealth, and they were held for life. This rule by the wealthy became known as an aristocracy. Aristo meaning best, Crossy from Kratos, meaning power. In other words, power by the best, or power by the elites. There was still, nominally, a king of Athens, it's just that the king had no power. The power was in the hands of the aristocratic offices that supported the king, the nine archons, who were the chief magistrates. One of these nine archons also served as the polemarch, leader of war. Then there were many treasurers and other bureaucrats who served the archons. These positions were exclusive to the aristocracy and were lifetime positions. For a few hundred years, this aristocratic system went on without a hitch. However, over time, the wealth and power got more and more concentrated into the hands of fewer and fewer citizens. By the 7th century BC, social tensions had become acute. Many previously wealthy citizens were reduced to sharecroppers, and many had to sell themselves into slavery to pay off their debts. What was worse, all of their monetary and legal cases were resolved privately and often arbitrarily. There was no court system to administer equal justice, and so there was a complete erosion of their rights and property. Meanwhile, these same aristocratic families were also backstabbing and stealing from one another. 
Occasionally, one would gain absolute dominance over their rivals, thus establishing what were known as tyrannies. A tyranny is an autocratic regime headed by a single ruler, a tyrannos, or tyrant. The term did not have as negative a connotation back then, and especially within other Greek city-states. But the Athenians would soon change that. The aristocrats who became tyrants would bestow their power to their sons, who often turned out to be very poor rulers, living it up in lives of excess and luxury while their subjects languished. Chilon, an aristocrat and Olympic Games winner, noticed that his fellow citizens were getting in this cycle of losing their rights and suffering under bad leaders, and so he attempted to break it by riding that wave of populist anger. He united with many of the formerly wealthy people to form a new tyranny, one for the people. The other aristocrats were threatened by Chilon, and so they put aside their differences to attack Chilon and his army. Their battle took them to the top of the Acropolis, the holiest site in Athens. Chilon took shelter under the altar of Athena, where it was sacrilege to kill him. Caught in a pickle, the aristocrats offered Chilon a bargain. If he left the sacred site, they would give him a fair trial. Chilon agreed, but the aristocrats betrayed their oath and slayed him. Killing Chilon stirred up a lot of resentment from the people, both for the blasphemous and disgraceful manner in which he was killed, and for the fact that he was the people's man. Seeking to calm things down, the aristocrats sent for Epimenides, the diviner, to re-sanctify the Acropolis, and they asked Draco, an aristocrat, to write down a formal legal code to enshrine the rights of the Athenians instead of just using an oral tradition. Draco's legal code was written down in 620 BC and was Athens' first written constitution. He actually resolved the problem of the disputes being handled arbitrarily by creating a system of public justice. He also established an, an assembly of 400 aristocrats known as the Boule, or city council, that would decide civic matters. The 400 aristocrats proportionately re represented each of the powerful families. These aristocrats would be selected by lottery, and it was forbidden that anyone serve twice until every aristocrat had served at least once. Members of the council would serve one-year-long terms. Unfortunately, the only people Draco counted as citizens were those that carry weapons, have a fortune of over 10 minas, and have a legitimate Athenian wife and children over 10 years old. Essentially, this barred everyone but the very wealthy from participating. On top of that, the punishments Draco prescribed for crimes were quite drastic. Let's just say he made liberal use of the death penalty. This attempt at establishing a legal code was so controversial that even today we use the term draconian to describe harsh and overbearing laws. Some of these laws were, couldn't pay your debts? Life of slavery. Steal a vegetable? Death. Steal an apple? Death. Kill someone? Believe it or not, exile, actually. Plutarch wrote, And Draco himself, they say, being asked why he made death the penalty for most offenses, replied that in his opinion, the lesser ones deserved it, and for the greater ones, no heavier penalty could be found. Draco's constitution did not last long. As Aristotle explains, the many were still in slavery to the few. The people rose against the upper class. The strife was keen, and for a long time, the two parties were ranged in hostile camps against one another. 
Till at last, by common consent, they appointed Salone to be a mediator and archon, and committed the whole constitution to his hands. This happened around 594 BC. Salone's first act was to liberate the people once and for all by ending the practice of enslaving people for their debts. He also declared that all prior debts were canceled. Next, Salone drew up a constitution and enacted new laws, and the ordinances of Draco ceased to be used, with the exception of those relating to murder. One of the main laws he drew up allowed any person to seek justice from any other regardless of class disparity. As part of this, he established a system of jurors picked by lottery from among all of the people. And so now people were able to get a fair shake in a more unbiased court of law, comprised of their peers instead of only the higher class people. Salone's reforms didn't change everything, though. He maintained the traditions of rule by the aristocracy, including those set forth by Draco. And so the city continued to run by the nine archons and the Council of 400, the Boule. All of these positions were exclusive to high-born citizens, the aristocrats. And still, the members of the council were chosen by lottery proportionately from each family. Salone apparently liked to write poems about his political achievements, which is how he got the job in the first place. The poem he wrote after writing this constitution is interesting. Quote, For to the common people I gave as much power as is sufficient, neither robbing them of dignity nor giving them too much. And those who had power and were marvelously rich, even for those I contrived that they suffered no harm. I stood with a mighty shield in front of both classes and allowed neither of them to prevail unjustly. In this poem, Salone discusses how he protected both the aristocrats and the poor. The poor, also known as thetes, demanded revolution. They wanted a full redistribution of the wealth. Meanwhile, the aristocrats demanded the status quo, ensuring that all their debts be paid back and their wealth maintained. In satisfying neither side, Salone saved both. Quote, Wherefore, I stood at guard on every side, a wolf at bay among a pack of hounds. Close quote. This created considerable resentment against Salone. Salone grew weary of all the hate, and so he retired. For five years, internal divisions prevented the Athenians from picking a replacement for Salone. When they finally did settle on one, he was expelled after just two years, and the city was from then on in a continual state of disarray, unable to settle any disputes. On top of this, Salone's reforms... Solved some problems, yes, but they also created many new ones. For example, there was now a new political party representing the people who used to be rich, who then became poor when all of their debtors were forgiven of their debts. Now, this class, on top of the people who used to be rich, then became poor when they had too many debts, along with the people who were just straight up poor and wanted the aristocrats' stuff, and then there was the aristocrats' party who wanted to keep their stuff. So basically, a lot of political parties were forming, and they had demands that were completely contradictory to one another. Eventually, these parties came to a tenuous agreement where they selected ten new archons from the aristocracy, representing the interests of all of the parties. One of the party heads was Pesistratos. Though he was a wealthy aristocrat from one of the larger families, he led the party of people who are now poor because all their debts were forgiven. 
Pesistratos was also a beloved military commander and an enemy to Salone. Also, he was Salone's relative. Funny how that happens. One day, Pesistratos decided to take a gamble and seize power for his faction. Alone in his room, he stabbed himself, then came out of the room and declared that his political rivals had attacked him. Concerned for his safety, the Archons voted that Pesistratos be given a contingent of guards. With his newly acquired guards, Pesistratos immediately went and conquered the Acropolis and declared himself tyrant in 561 BC. When this happened, many Athenians fled and were exiled. Over the next several decades, Pesistratos was overthrown multiple times, yet each time he just kept coming back. One time when he returned, he was escorted by what the people thought was the goddess of Athena. It was actually just a woman disguised in Athena's armor. Despite the multiple deposings, Pesistratos was a successful ruler and deeply loved by a large portion of the population. He created many mighty public work projects, like the Temple of Athena on the Acropolis, and he made an aqueduct system. He also reformed land laws to, to favor the rural population. He established a system of coinage, and he was also a patron of the arts and literature, even going so far as to command the oral history of the Iliad to be written down for the first time. Aristotle describes Pesistratos' rule. He says, Pesistratos' administration of the state was, as has been said, moderate, and more constitutional than tyrannic. He was kindly and mild in everything, and in particular, he was merciful to offenders, and moreover, he advanced loans of money to the poor for their industries. Pesistratos died in 527 BC, and his sons took over the tyranny. He left a lasting impact on Athens, and brought more political power to the people. This trend continued even after his death. When his son Hipparchos was killed a few years later in a lover's quarrel, unlike the reception for Chilon's murder, the peoples cheered the tyrannicide, the killing of a tyrant. The two random people who killed Hipparchos were given statues in the Acropolis. The tide had now irrevocably turned against autocratic rulers and tyrants. And now the stage was set for democracy. In 508 BC, Cleisthenes, an aristocrat, sought for and received the support of the masses to take up the mantle of Chief Archon. He won their support by proposing a radical new constitution that would allow all people the power to participate in government. The aristocracy gave in to the people's wishes and made Cleisthenes Chief Archon. This action was opposed by many aristocrats and the Spartans who wanted their man, Isagoros, to set up an oligarchy, oligos meaning few, krasi meaning power. Isagoros used his alliance with the Spartans to bring in an army of Spartans, and they exiled Cleisthenes. He then exiled all of the 700 aristocrats and their families who had supported Cleisthenes. He then ordered the dissolution of the Council of 400, the Boule. But this the people would not stand for. The ordinary people rose up and they fought and expelled the Spartan army. Isagoras and his men soon found themselves without any Spartan warriors. They were soon besieged in the Acropolis by the people and they surrendered. Cleisthenes and the 700 aristocrats who were expelled were then sent for. 
Cleisthenes returned victorious and immediately became chief archon and established the constitution that he had proposed. Cleisthenes called the dramatic reforms of the constitution isonomia, isos meaning equal, nomia from nomos meaning law, equality under the law. These reforms would soon become known as democracy, demos meaning citizens, krasi meaning power, citizen power. Here are the five biggest changes that Cleisthenes brought about. Change 1. Cleisthenes organized the people by tribes instead of by family. Tribes were created by combining townships or deems so that each tribe had multiple townships with a variety of wealthy and poor as well as a good mix of coastal, urban, and rural citizens. Instead of each aristocratic family receiving proportional representation in the Council of 400, the citizens in each tribe would receive proportional representation. The larger townships would get more representatives than the smaller ones, just like how our democracy works today. Tribes were to share grazing lands, holidays, heroes, athletes, and parties together. This forged new bonds of allegiance. Instead of loyalty to your class or your clan or your family or your region, in Athens you were loyal to your tribe. Change 2. The Council of 400 became a Council of 500, 50 representatives for each tribe. The representatives were still picked by lottery, just as Draco had established. Change 3. While the Council of 500, or Boule, had the power to propose laws, under Cleisthenes it was the Ecclesia, or Assembly, that was given the power to enact laws. Anyone could come in and vote in the Assembly during the 40 times a year they met to enact laws. The assembly could reject, accept, or ask for amendments to any law. After a few decades, people even got paid to attend the ecclesia. This allowed the poorer people who had to work for a living to still be able to participate in politics. Change 4. Cleisthenes set up the jury system so that jurors would come and represent each tribe proportionately. They were still decided by lottery. Under Cleisthenes' constitution, court cases followed strict procedural rules. Before reaching a jury, the case was heard by a magistrate or arbitrators in a preliminary hearing. In some cases, the evidence presented, such as testimony of witnesses, was then sealed for presentation during the trial itself. On some days, as many as 500 from each tribe would need to serve in the jury. The Athenians were a very litigious people. According to Xenophon, quote, they handle more public and private lawsuits and judicial investigations than the whole of the rest of mankind. Change 5. Cleisthenes had seen how easily the people had turned to tyranny under Pesistratos, but he saw how quickly they turned against tyranny again with their rejection of Pesistratos' sons and Isagoras. As a permanent defense against future tyrants, Cleisthenes introduced a democratic tool called ostracism. From the website agathe.gr, quote, The procedure of ostracism was simple. Once a year, the people would meet in the Agora and take a vote to determine if anyone was becoming too powerful and was in a position to establish a tyranny. If a simple majority voted yes, they met again in the Agora two months later. At this second meeting, each citizen carried with him an ostracon, which was a potsherd with writing on it, on which he had scratched the name of the person he wished ostracized. If at least 6,000 votes were cast, the man with the most votes lost and was exiled for 10 years. Close quote. 
Now imagine how many problems we could solve or create if we tried to exile our politicians for 10 years. The stability and equality of democracy allured many merchants and traders to Athens. These were often non-citizens known as Medics, and they formed into a large middle class. Victor Davis Hanson discusses how much of Athens's stability and prosperity came from this large and robust middle class. Dr. Hanson explains that a middle class isn't calling for constant revolution like a poor class because their lives are good and they have something to lose if there's a revolution. They also don't engage in the same power shenanigans and narcissism like a rich leisure class of aristocrats. Middle class people happily bring forth children, educate them, and teach them how to integrate into the society without rocking the boat. Dr. Josiah Ober of Stanford used economic models along with historical data to figure out how well off this middle class really was. He found that these middle class Athenians were richer than any other Greeks at the time. In fact, they were richer than the Romans at any point in Roman history, and their wealth would only be surpassed by a Dutch middle class in the 17th century, 2,000 years later. That's a lot of wealth and a lot of stability, and it's largely thanks to a government run by the people and for the people. To conclude, the founding of democracy in Greece in the 7th and 6th centuries BC has had a profound and obvious impact on the world today. Almost every country in the world has some form of democracy, or citizens having a say in their government. But you can see from these stories I shared today, the lessons go even deeper. We saw how Draco's unfair laws generated the term draconian, and they led to violence and fear of the government. We saw how Salone's observance of unfair justice inspired him to set up jury by peers. But we also saw how the unintended consequences of Salone's debt forgiveness program led to revolution and tyranny. We saw how a tyrant like Pesistratos, despite his unconstitutional and deceitful rise to power, did good for his people. But then we saw how Cleisthenes' suspicion and fear of worse tyrants led to constitutional safeguards that inspired modern countries to do the same. We see some of these safeguards Cleisthenes came up with in some elements of the American founding. Some of these safeguards include the separation of powers, term limits, and proportional representation. Carl J. Richard writes of another big one, quote, The American founders' immersion in the classics gave them a suspicious cast of mind. Steeped in a literature whose perpetual theme was the steady encroachment of tyranny on liberty, the founders became virtually obsessed with spotting its approach, so that they might avoid the fate of their classical heroes. The founders believed that the central lesson of ancient history was that every illegitimate power, however small, ended in slavery and they were determined to resist every such power." Close quote. And so the biggest safeguard of all was the built-in suspicion of tyranny that is so prevalent in America today that's a gift from our Athenian forebears. And this truly is one of the most important lessons of all. Always be on the lookout for tyranny. And just because democracy has been a powerful tool for fighting tyranny, it does not mean democracy itself is immune to becoming tyrannical. You may have heard the term tyranny of the majority. That is why you'll notice no modern country today is a pure democracy like Athens was. Philosopher Ayn Rand explains why. Quote, 
The American system is not a democracy. It is a constitutional republic. A democracy, if you attach meaning to terms, is a system of unlimited majority rule. The classic example is ancient Athens. And the symbol of it is the fate of Socrates, who was put to death legally because the majority didn't like what he was saying, although he had initiated no force and had violated no one's rights. Democracy, in short, is a form of collectivism, which denies individual rights. The majority can do what it wants with no restrictions. In principle, the democratic government is all-powerful. Democracy is a totalitarian manifestation. It is not a form of freedom. The American system is a constitutionally limited republic, restricted to the protection of individual rights. In such a system, majority rule is applicable only to lesser details, such as the selection of certain personnel. But the majority has no say over the basic principles governing the government. It has no power to ask for or gain the infringement of individual rights. Close quote. And we're going to end there with those wise and prescient words of Miss Rand. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to share this with a friend. And that's history for you. Links to today's resources will be included in the description.